Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, talking about book three in general, and also chapter 19. Um, that is the end of uh, volume one as well, I guess. Some volumes, or some uh, copies of War and Peace will have it split up into, you know, even more parts. So you've got chapter, then book, then volume. Um, other ones have it broken up even differently again, where it's like, um, I think it's like part one, no, like book one, part one, chapter, whatever. I don't know. It's very confusing. Anyway, we've reached the end of that section of the book. Andrew today meets his hero, Napoleon, but his reaction isn't quite what we might have expected from earlier chapters. What do you think about the character changes that have occurred in him and in Rostov in the previous few chapters? Do you expect these to be permanent or fleeting? You know, I'm just thinking actually about how the fact that book three has been very heavily just pretty much about just Andre and Rostov. Those have been the real two main characters of book three. Um, I mean, right at the start, we did have Pierre getting married to Helena. Um, but that's in, I think, the th- first two chapters. And then we don't really get another look with him again for the rest of the book for the rest of that section of the book if you know what I mean anyway I'm hoping that um, we get to see him again in the coming chapters because I really like Pierre book Verm says I much prefer Andre to Rostov throughout this portion of the book I think there is a similarity in the characters around their idolization of powerful figures but where Rostov seems almost infantile or the romanticism of your first crush and holding them up to unreachable standards Andre always struck me as a bit more grounded slash respectful. That said, Andre in the earlier chapters showed his youthful thoughts as well, with the daydreaming about how he would distinguish himself, leading to the nearly deadly charge prior to this chapter. I want to know what happened to him. He got hit on the head by something, but I'm wanting to know what it was. Maybe he doesn't know himself, so we can't find out. I suspect Andre's change will be more fixed than Rostov's, though I expect to see continued growth in the character. I do really like how the near-death experience rendered all of his held views about Napoleon, distinguishing himself, etc. as insignificant. Uh, Bickering Cube says, If Andre dies, I'm throwing this book at the wall. I won't, and I suspect he won't. (laughs) Um... It reminds me of... Um, I actually just watched Silver Linings Playbook the other day. Um, and I love the scene where Bradley Cooper comes raging into his parents' bedroom in the middle of the night in 3am um, because he's just finished reading A Farewell to Arms and he's upset at how it ends. <laughs> and he throws the book out the window into the street, smashes it through the window. Uh, it's pretty funny. Um, I love this chapter because we get to see Napoleon as a character. We get to speak to him and see him interact. And I love the way he interacts. Andre sees him as extremely smug and sort of arrogant and like he's almost relishing in his victory. But I actually think he's being pretty um, magnanimous to his enemies, you know? He sees a wounded Andre on the battlefield and and compliments him saying that's a, 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 a good death. You know, there's no need to say that about a dead person, but he does. Turns out this dead person isn't dead, and he says, "Oh, quick, get this guy to the hospital." 
you know it's you know I've only really experienced war through books and through films but how often do you see the scene where the victors are walking through the battlefield and just finishing off all the enemies you know driving their swords through them or shooting them in the head or whatever whereas Napoleon very much the opposite and that probably was just the way wars were fought then with a lot of mutual respect between the warring armies but um, I don't know it was just nice to see I thought he was very respectful for an enemy um, okay excuse me um, let's keep reading shall we I'm ready to keep reading but I need to open up the book because I don't have it open yet um, okay, book four, chapter one. Book four is entitled 1806. Early in the year 1806, Nicholas Rostov returned home on leave. Denisov was going home to Voronezh and Rostov persuaded him to travel with him uh, as far as Moscow and to stay with him there. Meeting a comrade at the last post station, but one before Moscow. By the way, we're reading the Maud translation. Uh, Denisov had drunk three bottles of wine with him, and despite the jolting ruts across the snow-covered road, did not once wake up on the way to Moscow, but lay at the bottom of the sleigh besides Rostov, who grew more and more impatient the nearer they got to Moscow. How much longer, how much longer are those insufferable streets, shops, bakers, signboards, street lamps and sleighs, thought Rostov, when their leave permits had been passed at the town gate and they had entered Moscow. Denisov, we're here. He's asleep, he added, leaning forward with his whole body as if in that position he hoped to hasten the speed of the sleigh. Denisov gave no answer. There's the corner at the crossroads, where the cabman Zakhar has his stand. And there's Zakhar himself. Oh, and still the same horse. And there's the little shop where we used to buy gingerbread. Can't you hurry up now then? Which house is it? asked the driver. Why, that one, right at the end, the big one. Don't you see? That's our house, said Rostov. Of course it's our house. Denisov, Denisov, we're almost there. Denisov raised his head, coughed and made no answer. Dmitri, said Rostov, to his valet on the box, those lights are in our house, aren't they? Yes, sir, and there's a light in your father's study. Then they've not gone to bed yet. What do you think? Mind now, don't forget to put out my new coat, added Rostov, fingering his new moustache. Now then, get on, he shouted to the driver. Do wake up, Vaska, he went on, turning to Denisov, whose head was again nodding. Come, get on. You shall have three rubles for vodka. Get on, Rostov shouted. Nodding, ah, sorry, shouted, when the sleigh was only three houses from his door. It seemed to him the horses were not moving at all. At last the sleigh bore to the right, drew up to the entrance, and Rostov saw overhead the old familiar cornice with a bit of plaster broken off the porch and the post by the side of the pavement. He sprang out before the sleigh stopped and ran into the hall. The house stood cold and silent, as if quite regardless of who had come in. There was no one in the hall. Oh, God, is everyone all right? He thought, stopping for a moment with a sinking heart, and then immediately starting to run along the hall and up the warped steps of the familiar staircase. The well-known old door handle, which always angered the countess when it was not properly cleaned, turned as loosely as ever a solitary tallow candle burned in the anteroom old michael was asleep on the chest prokofi the footman who was so strong that he could lift the back of the carriage from behind sat plaiting slippers out of cloth selvages he looked up at the opening door and his expression of sleepy indifference suddenly changed to one of delight and amazement 
gracious heavens, the young count, he cried, recognizing his young master. Can it be my treasure? And, and Prokofi, trembling with excitement, rushed toward the drawing room door, probably in order to announce him, but changing his mind came back and stopped to kiss the young man's shoulder. All well? asked Rostov, drawing away from his arm. Yes, God be thanked, yes. They've just finished supper. Let me have a look at you, Your Excellency. Is everything quite all right? The Lord be thanked, yes. Rostov, who had completely forgotten Denisov, not wishing anyone to forestall him, threw off his fur coat and ran on tiptoe through the large dark ballroom. All was the same. There were the same old card tables and same chandelier with a cover over it, but someone had already seen the young master and... Before he had reached the drawing room, something flew out from a side door like a tornado and began hugging and kissing him. Another and yet another creature of the same kind sprang from a second door and a third, more hugging, more kissing, more outcries and tears of joy. He could not distinguish which was Papa, which was Natasha, which was Petya. Everyone shouted, talked and kissed him at the same time, only his mother was not there. He noticed that. And I did not know Nicholas, my darling. Here he is, Al Kolya. That's Nicholas. Dear fellow, how he has changed. Where are the candles? Tea. And me, kiss me. Dearest, and me. Sonia, Natasha, Petra, Anna Mikhailovna, Vera and the old count were hugging him, and the serfs, men and maids flocked into the room exclaiming and ooing and ahhing. Petra, clinging to his legs, kept shouting, and me too. Natasha, after she had pulled him down toward her and covered his face with kisses, held him tight by the skirt of his coat sprang away and pranced up and down in one place like a goat and shrieked piercingly. All around were loving eyes glistening with tears of joy and all around were lips seeking a kiss. Sonia too, all rosy red, clung to his arm and radiant with bliss looked eagerly towards his eyes, waiting for the look for which she longed. Sonia was now sixteen and she was very pretty, especially at this moment of happy, rapturous excitement. She gazed at him, not taking her eyes off him and smiling and holding her breath. He gave her a grateful look, but was still expectant and looking for someone. The old countess had not yet come, but now steps were heard at the door, steps so rapid that they could hardly be his mother's. Yet it was she, dressed in a new gown, which he did not know, made since he had left. All the others let him go and he ran to her. When they met, she fell on his breast, sobbing. She could not lift her face, but only pressed it to the cold braiding of his hussar's jacket. Denisov, who had come into the room unnoticed by anyone, stood there and wiped his eyes as at the, at the sight. Vasily Denisov, your son's friend, he said, introducing himself to the Count, who was looking inquiringly at him. You are most welcome, I know, I know, said the Count, kissing and embracing Denisov. Nicholas wrote us, Natasha, Vera, look, here is Denisov. The same happy, rapturous faces turned to the shaggy figure of Denisov. Darling Denisov, screamed Natasha, beside herself with rapture, springing to him, putting her arms around him and kissing him. This escapade made everybody feel confused. Denisov blushed too, but smiled and, taking Natasha's hand, kissed it. Denisov was shown to the room prepared for him and the Rostovs all gathered round Nicholas in the sitting room. The old countess, not letting go of his hand and kissing it every moment, sat beside him. The rest, crowding round him, watched every movement, word, or look of his, never taking their blissfully adoring eyes off him. His brother and sisters struggled for the places nearest to him and disputed with one another who should bring him his tea, handkerchief and pipe. Rostov was very happy in the love they showed him, but the first moment of meeting had been so beautific that his present joy seemed insufficient and he kept expecting something more and more, and yet more. 
Next morning, after the fatigues of their journey, the travellers slept till 10 o'clock. In the room next to their bedroom, there was a confusion of sabres, satchels, sabretaches, open portmanteaus and dirty boots. The two freshly cleaned pairs with spurs had just been placed by the wall. The servants were bringing in jugs and basins, hot water for shaving and their well-brushed clothes. There was a masculine odour and a smell of tobacco. Hello, Gwiska, my pipe, called Vasily Denisov's husky voice. Wostov, get up. Rostov, rubbing his eyes that seemed glued together, raised his dishevelled head from the hot pillow. Why, is it late? Late? It's nearly ten o'clock, answered Natasha's voice. A rustle of starched petticoats and a whispering of laughter of the girls' voices came from the adjoining room. The the door was opened a crack and there was a glimpse of something blue, of ribbons, black hair and merry faces. It was Natasha, Sonia and Petya, who had come to see whether they were getting up. Nicholas, get up! Natasha's voice was again heard at the door. Directly. Meanwhile, Petya, having found and seized the sabres in the other room, with the delight boys feel at the sight of a military elder brother, and forgetting that it was unbecoming for the girls to see men undressed, opened the bedroom door. Is this your sabre? he shouted. The girls sprang aside. Denisov hid his hairy legs under the blanket, looking with a scared face at his comrade for help. The door, having let Petya in, closed again. A sound of laughter came from behind it. Nicholas, come out in your dressing gown, said Natasha's voice. Is this your sabre? asked Petya, or is it yours? he asked, addressing the black moustached Denisov with servile deference. Rostov hurriedly put something on his feet, drew on his dressing gown, and went out. Natasha had put on one of spurred boot and was just getting her foot into the other. Sonya, when he came in, was twirling round and was about to expand her dress into a balloon and sit down. They were dressed alike in new pale blue frocks and were both fresh, rosy, and bright. Sonya ran away, but Natasha, taking her brother's arm, led him to the sitting room where they began talking. They hardly gave one another time to ask questions and give replies concerning a thousand little matters which could not interest anyone but themselves. Natasha laughed at every word he said, or that she said herself, not because they of what they were saying was amusing, but because she felt happy and was unable to control her joy, which expressed itself by laughter. Oh, how nice, how splendid, she said to everything. Rostov felt under the influence of the warm rays of love that childlike smile which had not once appeared on his face since he left home now for the first time after 18 months again brightened his soul and his face. No, but listen, she said, now you are quite a man, aren't you? I'm awfully glad you're my brother, she touched his moustache. I want to know what you men are like. Are you the same as we? No. Why did Sonya run away? asked Rostov. Ah, yes, that's a whole long story. How are you going to speak to her, thou or you? As may happen, said Rostov. No, call her you, please. I'll tell you all about it some other time. No, I'll tell you now. You know, Sonia, my dearest friend, it's such a friend that I burned my arm for her sake. Look here. She pulled up her muslin sleeve and showed him a red scar on her long, slender, delicate arm, high above the elbow, on the part that is covered by even a ball dress. I burned this to prove my love for her. I just heated a ruler in the fire and pressed it there. Sitting on the sofa with the little cushion on his arms, on its arms, what used to be his old schoolroom, and looking into Natasha's wildly bright eyes, Rostov re-entered that world of home and childhood, which had no meaning for anyone else, but gave him some of the best joys of his life. And the burning of an arm with a ruler as a proof of love did not seem to him senseless. He understood and was not surprised at it. 
Well, and is that all? he asked. We are such friends, such friends. All that ruler business was just nonsense, but we are friends forever. She, if she loves anyone, does it for life. But I understand that. I forget quickly. Well, what then? Well, she loves me and you like that. Natasha suddenly flushed. Why, you remember before you went away. Well, she says you are to forget all that. She says I shall love him always, but let him be free. Isn't that lovely and noble? Yes, very noble, isn't it? Asked Natasha, so seriously and excitedly that it was evident that what she was saying she had talked of before with tears. Rostov became thoughtful. I never go back on my word, he said. Besides, Sonia is so charming that only a fool would renounce his such happiness. No, no, cried Natasha. She and I have already talked it over. We knew you'd say so, but it won't do, because you see, if you say that, if you consider herself, yourself bound by your promise, it will seem as if she had not meant it seriously. It makes it as if you were marrying her because you must, and that wouldn't do at all. Rostov saw that it had been well considered by them. Sonia had already struck him by her beauty on the preceding day. Today, when he had caught a glimpse of her, she seemed still more lovely. She was as charming a girl of sixteen, evidently passionately in love with him. He did not doubt that for an instant. Why should he not love her now, and even marry her, Rostov thought, but just now there were so many other pleasures and interests before him. Yes, they have taken a wise decision, he thought. I must remain free. Well, then that's excellent, he said. We'll talk it over later. Oh, how glad I am to have you. Well, and are you still true to Boris, he continued. Oh, what nonsense, cried Natasha, laughing. I don't think about him or anyone else, and I don't want anything of this kind. Dear me, then what are you up to now? Now? repeated Natasha, and a happy smile lit up her face. Have you seen Duport? No. Not seen Duport, the famous dancer? Well, then you won't understand. That's what I'm up to. Curving her arms, Natasha held out her skirt as dancers do, ran back a few steps, turned, cut a caper, brought her little feet sharply together and made some steps on the very tips of her toes. See, I'm standing, see, she said, but could not remain herself on her toes any longer. So, that's what I'm up to. I'll never marry anyone, but will be a dancer, only don't tell anyone. Rostov laughed so loud and merrily that Denisov in his room felt envious and Natasha could not help joining in. No, but don't you think it's nice? She kept repeating. Nice? And so you no longer wish to marry Boris? And Natasha flared up. I don't want to marry anyone, and I'll tell him when I see him. Dear me, said Rostov. But that's all rubbish, Natasha chattered on. And is Denisov nice? She asked. Yes, indeed. Ah, oh, well then, goodbye. Go and dress. Is he very terrible, Denisov? Why terrible? Asked Nicholas. No, Vaska is a splendid fellow. You call him Vaska? That's funny. And is he very nice? Very. Well then, be quick. We'll have to have breakfast together. And Natasha rose and went out of the room on tiptoe like a ballet dancer, but smiling as only happy girls of fifteen can smile. When Rostov met Sonya in the drawing room, he reddened. He did not know how to behave with her. The evening before, in the first happy moment of meeting, they had kissed each other, but today he felt if they felt it could not be done. He felt that everybody, including his mother and sisters, was looking inquiringly at him and watching to see how he would behave with her. He kissed her hand and addressed her not as thou, but as you, Sonia. But their eyes met and said thou, and exchanged tender kisses. Her looks asked him to forgive her for having dared, by Natasha's intermediacy, to remind him of his, his promise, and then thanked him for his love. His looks thanked her for offering him his freedom, and told her that one way or another he would never cease to love her, for that would be impossible. 
How strange it is, said Vera, selecting a moment when all was silent, that Sonia and Nicholas now say you to one another and meet like strangers. Vera's remark was correct, as her remarks always were, but like most of her observations, it made everyone feel uncomfortable. Not only Sonia, Nicholas and Natasha, but even the old countess, who, dreading this love affair which might hinder Nicholas from making a brilliant match, blushed like a girl. Denisov, to Rostov's surprise, appeared in the drawing room with pomaded hair, perfumed and in a new uniform, looking just as smart as he had made himself when going into battle and he was more amiable to the ladies and gentlemen than Rostov had ever expected to see him. Alright, there we go. There's another chapter down. Rostov is back home. How nice to see him come back home to such a happy reception. Alright guys, have your say about that one on the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.